So today, of course, is uh, the Shabbat of Yom Kippur. And uh, indeed, uh, it happens. Someone asked me last night, how often does this happen? It's not like an eclipse, you know? Uh, it happens. It's not like the next one's going to be in, uh, you know, 2052 or something like that. It happens from time to time. In fact, I, I seem to recall a few years back, I think uh, Yom Kippur was on a Shabbat. And uh, now I know someone's going to go figure that out. Don't. Okay, good. So uh, it is uh, called, you know, like a Shabbat of Shabbats. And, and it is indeed uh, extra special in that sense. And uh, we've been talking about th- this journey, regardless of uh, which uh, Shabbat, fall, whether it's in the middle of the week or on Shabbat, uh, it is uh, this journey of repentance and uh, reconciliation and restoration and, and then celebration. And we uh, have been talking about reconciliation uh, and how God, last night, how God is the one who reconciles us. We don't reconcile ourselves uh, to God, but that God reconciles us. And uh, we looked at some passages in the uh, Tanakh which use the word restore. God restores us to to himself. And we said that it's the same, in Hebrew, it's kind of interesting. It's the same word that is for return. When people return or repent, it's the same word. It's just written a little differently. So it's not that God returns. It's not like we meet him halfway. You know, he returns, we return. No, it means he brings us back. We turn to him and he receives us or he brings us back. He restores us. He brings us back to the place where we're supposed to be. You know, and that's the part we didn't talk about really last night. What, you know, when you're restored, you're coming back to something, right? Uh, kind of like return. You know, you're coming back to the place that God has called us, uh, called us to be. And that is our prayer and our hope that that's what Yom Kippur does for us. Certainly every day should be that. Every day we should be returning to God. Every day we should, every day should be a day of restoration, uh, but God gives us a season for it. Okay? So um, today we're going to talk about, we're going to look at a psalm. The psalm we read last night, actually, Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is very helpful for us because it's about restoration. It's about repentance, it's about returning, and about restoration, right? Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 kind of go together, okay? And I'll explain how that, how that works for us in just a second when you get there, right? Psalm 32. Now, there's a lot of wisdom in Psalm 32, and part of it is going to sound like Psalm 1 right away, actually, So you see at the very beginning of Psalm 32, it says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to thee, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let every one who is godly 
pray to thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not reach him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou dost preserve me from trouble. Thou dost surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bitten bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they would not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. So Psalm 32 begins with his great like declaration, like a, a, a declaration. In a way, it's backwards. It's sort of like the result. But uh, as a singer, he's so exuberant about the results that he shares the results right away. Okay? How blessed, now the word blessed here, you know, there's two words for bless, in he- basically, two words for bless in Hebrew. One is barak, or bar- as we say, baruch ata Adonai, blessed are you, O Lord our God, right? Or uh, God blessed people, you know, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and things of that nature. That all is uh, barak, uh, which, you know, uh, by the way, that, that word the etymology of that, where the word comes from, is rather interesting. Of course, what's more important is how it's used, its meaning, you know. But the actual etymology of it is to be like jumping into a pool, like refreshment. Isn't that fascinating? Fascinating. All right. So anyway, but that's not this word. <laughs> that was sort of like, look, you got a little extra there, okay? All right. This is a different word, ashray. Ashray, happy, really, basically, happy, Okay. Kind of like the Greek word that is used in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, blessed there. It kind of is not far from that meaning, right? Uh, how, how blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. So the feeling you get from this word is not, I'm blessed. This word is, oh, I'm blessed, you know? The, the sense of reconciliation, the sense, the, the feeling, the emotion of being right, being in good relationship. And that always feels good, right? Whether we're talking about relationship with God or relationship with another person, it just feels good to be in right relationship. So uh, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, how blessed is it to be transparent? How blessed it is to be in right relationship with God. How blessed it is to know that my sins are not being held against me. You know, Uh, or as from our illustration last night, how blessed it is to know that I'm not negative, you know, in my checkbook as compared to my bank statement, right? That I'm reconciled. Last night we were talking, using the word reconcile, you know, and uh, thinking about when, when we're not reconciled to the bank, you, you know, we're in the negative. Uh, and so how, how good it feels, and doesn't that feel good? Yes, it does, right? So how good it feels, how good it is to know that God is not holding my sins against me, 
because I will never be able to measure up. And how wonderful it is to know that I am forgiven. When I am forgiven, it means I'm in good relationship with you even though I did this thing. Wow, that's great, you know? So that is how he's feeling. But he has not always felt this way. And I always find Psalm 32 to be very, very helpful when I think about David's sin. This is about David, and this is about his sin with Bathsheba, you know, and uh, setting up uh, her husband for, uh, to be sent to the front lines, right, uh, to die in battle. It was a terrible thing, terrible, terrible thing. But did you ever wonder, when you look in Second uh, Samuel chapter um, 12, so we know David, David sinned, right? So in chapter 12 of Second Samuel, this is where Nathan the prophet confronts uh, David, okay? And I've always, from just reading this text, always wondered, thought to myself, you know, didn't David know, you know, that he sinned? Did he have to be like, he had to hear the story and then like, oh, wow, that's me. I can't believe what I did was wrong. You know, it's kind of odd in, in that regard because like most of us, you know, in the moment, in the heat of the battle, when we lose the battle to temptation, for about 15, 20 minutes, we're atheists, you know? Uh, in other words, I know, I know all about God. I know, I know, I pray, I this. But when that temptation comes, there is nothing that's going to keep me from that, right? Whatever is right, whatever is wrong. But then after it's over, then we feel like, oh, right? Then there's this great conviction, this great conviction. Uh, but it's like it comes right away. And, and, and so the question is, well, what was going on with David? In Second uh, Samuel chapter 12, it says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, I got a story to tell you. You know, it's almost like, did you hear, the, hear about the two guys in a city? Okay. There were two men in one city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom. In other words, wow, what a, what a cutie, right? I'm sure there, if that was today, there would be many a video of uh, this, okay? Uh, and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb. <laughs> so wrong, right? Uh, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then uh, David's anger burned greatly. David's listening to this story, and his anger burns greatly against uh, the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die, and he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold. Because he did this horrible thing and had no compassion. He had no compassion. Nathan then said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And, uh, and if that had been too little, and if that wasn't enough, 
I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil uh, in his sight? And then he goes on. Okay, And David just melts and you know, confesses his sin. But Psalm 32 helps us because evidently, according to Psalm 32, in between the time of the sin and Nathan coming to him and confronting him, David knew that he had sinned and he kept it inside. And it was, it was rotting him out. It was killing him. As we read now in Psalm 32, see, the, David's Psalms, a little, little extra now note about the Psalms, David's Psalms help us to know what he was thinking when you read in 2 Samuel about what he was doing. His Psalms help us to know what his, his uh, you know how we all talk to ourselves, you know, when we're thinking about stuff and half the time people have no idea you know, of our, of our, that inner conversation that we have, right? So when we're watching, watching in a sense, watching what Daniel is doing in 2 Samuel, we can know what he's thinking when we read his Psalms. It really is a fascinating way to read, to read the Psalms because we often think the very same, very same way. All right, so after the confession, this is how David felt. Blessed, relieved, rejoiced. Oh, right? Like a weight had been lifted off of his shoulders. Now, in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 32, he says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy on me. My vitality was drained away as the fever heat of summer. And so, Verses 3 and 4 tell us why, he's so, why he feels so relieved now. He feels so relieved now because compared to what it was like holding it in, oh, what a cleansing experience. What a, uh, what a good experience. So, this is a great word for us right now. And that is that when we come uh, on Yom Kippur, this is a great day to to get right with God. And perhaps we have had things inside of us for so long that we don't even know how it feels. We don't know how blessed feels. Maybe you've never experienced it. Or you haven't experienced it maybe from you when you first embraced Yeshua, you know, and the newness of all of that. But when we hold on to secret sins, when we keep them inside of us and just it's almost like, you know, the flypaper thing, you know, like I can't get rid of it. No matter what I do, I, I read, the, you know, I read, I memorized 30 verses. I still can't get rid of that, uh, of that sin, you know. And it's interesting because in Psalm 51, the companion text, which is David's confession, his, the confession itself, You'll notice there, if you read it carefully at the beginning, he says in verse 3, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. My sin is ever before me. I can't get it out of my mind. And I hope that for us today, we can be at a place, especially if we've embraced Yeshua. But like I said last night, 
You know, the reality is, is that for many of us, we feel horribly more guilty as believers in the Messiah when we sin because we feel like I'm not supposed... Before, before I was a believer in Yeshua, I could understand this. But now that I know the Lord, there's no excuse for me. I'm like lost. There's like, it's like what he's supposed to do for me hasn't taken or something. My guess there's one or two of us here today that might even be thinking that kind of thing. Regardless of who we are or, <laughs> you know, anything else. And I hope that uh, today we can get to verses 1 and 2. You know, if we're stuck in verses 3 and 4. So then David says, I acknowledge my sin to you, which is Psalm 51. We're not going to turn back there right now, but he acknowledges his sin. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. Now, interestingly, in Hebrew, when he says, acknowledged my sin and I will confess my transgression, it's the same word written the same, written the same way. It could be, I confessed my sin to you and I acknowledged my transgression to the Lord. It could be said either, either way. So when we confess our transgressions to God, we're acknowledging. We're acknowledging our sin. Okay, That does not mean I got caught, I admitted I did it. That's different, okay? To acknowledge it, to confess it, is to say, I did it and I agree with you about it. It is, you know, it is heinous, it is wrong, it is an affront to you, God. You see, when we come to God with our sin, it's very similar uh, when we uh, ask forgiveness or confess a sin to another person that we've sinned against. Because, you know, if I do something to you, and then I come up to you and say, yeah, I did it. Are we all right now? You know, it doesn't quite work, does it? It doesn't really work. You know, as if suddenly there's a gun to my head saying, okay, I did it. You know, that's not how it works. When we, when we confess a sin to another person and I say, Janice, I'm sorry. This is, you know, I don't know what I was saying. It was wrong for me to do this thing to you, Right. Uh, that is what we're saying to God. Lord, it was wrong. It was wrong what I did. Not I just did it. It was wrong. It has, it has uh, damaged our relationship. And so that is what it means when we acknowledge our uh, sin to God. And when we confess our sins uh, uh, to God. It doesn't mean to use some kind of flowery language or some formula, uh, you know, and say the right words. It means that from my heart, I really mean it, God. I'm coming before you with all of my heart and every bit of me, right? So David realized that when that happens, like the floodgates open and I'm totally restored to God. I don't have to work my way back. I don't have to like get in the mood, get in the feeling again. I am restored to God. That's why he says in verse 6, Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. It's like he's saying, Hey, everybody, let me tell you what I experienced. You know? Uh, and how, how uh, wonderful it is 
to confess my sins, to be honest, to be transparent. And you know what? As a result, man, prayer becomes like this dynamic, fantastic, life-changing, transformative experience. And perhaps we're here today saying, I hear people say that, but you know, I've never really had that experience. Maybe it's because we're trying to be something we're not. We're hiding something from the Lord, you know, because then he says, wow, surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not reach him. Meaning, you know what I found? I found that I can talk to God and that I know that he's with me and that he protects me no matter what. Uh, and that God is my hiding place. He preserves me from trouble. And uh, God surrounds me with songs of deliverance. I love that because if you, if you jump down to verse 10, you see that word again. The verse, as, as we might like to say, 10b. Okay? Uh, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, shall surround him. Right? So loving kindness surrounds him. Songs of deliverance surround him. It's a great visual word, like enveloped, enveloped by songs of deliverance, enveloped by loving kindness of God. And all I have to do is not hide from God. Remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? Where are you? Right? And they were hiding because of their sin. God desired for them to come out. And so God desires uh, to forgive us. You know, in another psalm, in Psalm 85, uh, there's a great verse here. In verse 86, Psalm 86, in verse 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. And so God is waiting. God desires it. And you know, it makes me think of another verse in Isaiah chapter 30. In Isaiah chapter 30, there's a, another verse that is similar to uh, like that. That is verse 18 of Isaiah chapter 30. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. So, you know, this is not a case of, boy, I hope he'll receive me. I hope he still loves me. God is like that prodigal's father, waiting. He longs to be gracious. He wants to forgive. And all he's saying is, come to me. Come to me. Return to me. And, the, and David then shares his experience of what that's like. Of what that's like. Now, in verse 8 of a, a Psalm 32... He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the ways you should go. Actually, now the speaker changes. Now, this is God responding to him. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So he says, you know, when you return to me, now I will lead you in the way that you should go. You will, you're close to me, you're, you are in fellowship with me. I will now guide your steps. I will instruct you. Now the word becomes real to us and we can move forward and use real wisdom in making life uh, choices. See, so God responds. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Then I love verse 9. 
Do not be as a horse or as a mule, which have no understanding. So, mule is great here. Don't be stubborn. Don't be so stubborn that you don't really listen to me. Don't be so stubborn. You know, there's another word for mule, but I'm not going to say it, okay? Don't be so stubborn that you have it all figured out. Don't be so stubborn that you have me all figured out. Don't be so stubborn that, uh, you know, that, you, that there is this uh, spiritual pride. You know, I, I, uh, I'll pick myself up by the bootstraps and I will teach and I will preach and I will uh, be this and I will do this and I'll do this for you and I'll do that for you, you know, and then wait for the fall and have to be drug forward. No. When he says here, he says, who's trapped, well, first he says, which have no understanding, right? So maybe we're a mule here today. Maybe we have just been real stubborn in our walk with God, and we have not had a circumcised heart. We have not had a softened heart for God. We have not come to him with our sins and transgressions. But maybe we're, we're too busy um, doing this and doing that. Don't be a mule whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. See, it takes great humility to be strong in the Lord. It takes great humility. It takes a softened heart. You know, in Ezekiel 36, I won't take the time to turn there, but here the word flesh is actually a positive thing. I'm going to take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, he says. I'm going to take away your hardened heart and I'm going to give you a soft heart. A soft heart that feels, a soft heart that feels pain, that feels the pain of transgression, the pain of sin, the pain of unbelief, of the, the, the pain of disappointment, of regret, all those things, the pain of, of brokenness. Remember what we read in Psalm 51? A broken and contrite heart. That's what God wants. Not the heart that knows it all, not the heart that has this or that or has it all figured out and all that. But the heart that comes and says, Lord, less of me, more of you. Then he says, many are the sorrows of the wicked. But again, now, he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. And shout for joy, all of you who are upright in heart. And so this is what, uh, and this is what he experienced. So let's ask ourselves, so for us, when we talk about confessing sins and being restored to God, how does that manifest itself in our world, in, in our life? Well, Yeshua had something to say about this. It's not only that I've confessed my sins and, and now I'm not, hide, not hiding, now I'm, I'm being transparent. Well, you know, when you're walking with the Lord and you're transparent before God, you know what else it means? You ready? It means we need to be basically transparent, period. It means that in our horizontal relationships with each other, that we are right, we are in right relationship with each other. You know, I, interestingly enough, there's a number of verses here, and I'm going to read a few to make the point. In Matthew uh, chapter 18, something we read last night, I just want to read the very end. Yeshua told a story about a man who had been greatly forgiven and then went about his way and didn't forgive other people. And then we read about Yeshua's response, right? 
So uh, we read at the end of the psalm, in verses uh, 34 and 35, not psalm, uh, the end of the story in Matthew 18, the very end of the chapter, And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. And I said last night that the point of that is, Yeshua says that to motivate people to forgive and of the absolute importance in our own walk with God of, uh, of uh, forgiveness. In, uh, if you go back to Matthew chapter 6, in verse 12, we read, you know, in the Lord, what we call the Lord's Prayer, which is really the disciples' prayer, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive our debts as we also have uh, forgiven uh, our, uh, our debtors. Then in verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 6, For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Well, for the sake of time, I won't read all the rest of those uh, uh, statements. Uh, and the, the point is here that uh, we are indeed, uh, you can't get away from it. That if we really are experiencing forgiveness from God, we have to forgive each other. It's not like it's an option. We have to forgive each other. We have to receive it and we have to give it. And it's, in a sense, it's the other side of the coin of the very same transaction between ourselves and God. See? So we might make all kinds of statements. Uh, you read it in commentaries all the time. Uh, you know, just giving all kinds of verbiage to make the case that, well, it's not works salvation that if I forgive somebody, oh, then I'm right with God and I go to heaven when I die or something like that. No, the point that Yeshua is making is, is that we need to be transparent people. We need to forgive one another if indeed that transaction has taken place between ourselves and God. And may I challenge us indeed that that is what Yom Kippur is about. And, you know, I'm going to close with a, um, uh, a little story from Maimonides, okay? You know, the rabbis, uh, the ancient rabbis understood the importance of distancing, self, distancing ourselves from sin, you know, not holding on to sin. So Maimonides writes this, Anyone who confesses without resolving in their heart to abandon sin is like a person who immerses themselves in the mikvah holding on to a dead lizard. Their immersion will not purify them until they cast away the lizard. The lizard is traif. The lizard is, you know, unclean, right? And so, you, you know, it doesn't matter that you get immersed. You're hanging on to the lizard. We need to let go of the lizard. We need to let go of the lizard in our lives. We need to let go of the things that are holding us back from God. We need to let go of the hurts, the grudges. Uh, the, the thing that happened 35 years ago, uh, you know, you never got the thank you note, okay? You know, no one said, no one said to you, happy birthday 10 years ago. Uh, uh, or, uh, you know, I can tell you lots of stories. I'll tell you a real, real fast one. Uh, many years ago in another city in another state. True, that was not here. 
we had a great service, great service, you know, and I came home and I was just all excited and I got a call from a lady uh, who said, you did not say hello to me today, you know, so, you know, I made it right, but I will say that was sort of like, you know, uh, and the fact is, is that we've got to let all that go. We've got to let all of that go. And when we let that go, you see it as a double bless. It's a double whammy. That is how we get right with God. It's not, it's not, I'm going to get right with God, but I'm not going to be right with people. That does not fly with God. That does not fly. It's not, see, that's when you're a 40 percenter or a 50 percenter. We're 100 percenters in. And so that is why the forgiveness of sin of, of individuals, the forgiveness between ourselves is so intricate to Yom Kippur, right? And that's why Yeshua said, I don't even know what time it is, so I'm, I'm not even going to turn to the passage, all right? But in Matthew chapter 5, that's when Yeshua says, before you bring your offering, go and make peace with each other. God doesn't want the sacrifice if you have a heart filled with animosity and hurts and, and unforgiveness. He doesn't care how the song sounds. He doesn't care how beautiful the service was. He doesn't care. Read the first chapter of Isaiah. He doesn't care if our heart is not right. And it's not about just theology right. It's about right with God and one another. And so may that be our challenge. May we be able to say, as, uh, as David did, how blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. How blessed is that one. And so may we confess our sins to God and one another, as we read in the book of James, right? That, that the forgiveness uh, is a, a cleansing, cleansing tonic for us when we are transparent, when we uh, come to God in that way. And so we thank you that Yeshua has indeed, see the great thing is Yeshua has taken away our sins. He has in his death and resurrection. He is the goat that takes our sins on him. He bears our sins. You know, the Hebrew word for bearing sin is nasah, take carrying it. He carries our sins on himself. All he asks is, come to me. And that should be our attitude too, when someone has sinned against us. We need to forgive them, but when a person, and then we need to be motivated if we've sinned against them to go to them. And we need to be like the Lord. Yes, I forgive you. Absolutely. You know, I'll bring you back in. Yes. Do you realize the difference you can make in a person's life when you forgive, when you really forgive them, verbally forgive them, or give them a hug? You're making a difference in their lives. Just like it makes a difference in our lives when, when we know and see that God has forgiven us. And, uh, and so, with that in mind, let us uh, continue. And I'm going to ask our music group to come at this time. Because, you know, when, when, um, when we have this kind of attitude, we're recognizing that, yes, God is indeed our Father. Yeah, thanks. Good. God is indeed our Father. And God is indeed our King. And God is indeed our Deliverer. He is our Savior. 
You know, uh, as they're getting ready, it's interesting in our text here that um, we read that when Nathan was telling the story about the ewe lamb, he says, and, you know, and the bad man in the story had no compassion, had no compassion. And then it's interesting what Yeshua says in Matthew chapter 18 about the man who had compassion on the debtor, he said, and he had compassion on him. God has great compassion upon us always to receive us. May we have that same kind of compassion for one another. Who Elohim?